Oh, that is, that is such a tremendous thought that His grace would be enough. You know, you can go to Second uh, Corinthians 12 and Paul is talking there. He's been talking about the, the difficulties in his life and these things he's been through. And he even talks about a prayer request. Something he pleaded for God to do. Pleaded for God to change. And you know what God said? No. No, I'm not going to do that. I want my grace to be enough in your life. Well, that's a, that's a powerful thought. And I think probably in this room, a lot of us would say, man, yeah, I want that, that grace to be enough in my life. But, you know, even as believers, I mean, we're believers, we believe in Jesus, we, we believe in his word, we believe these things. But even as a committed believer, we can ask sometimes some difficult questions. Like, like does God know where I am? I mean, really, me personally, does he know what I'm going through? Does he know what I'm dealing with? Does he know? Can he, can he help me? Now, I'm confident that across this room, many of us would say, yes, yes, yes. We would answer all of those questions. Absolutely, we know God knows where we are, that he cares, that he can help us. But you know what? We don't always feel like that, do we? Matter of fact, we may even be able to open up our Bible and say, you know, here's, here's the verses that prove God cares. That shows God knows where I am. Here, here's the promises of those things. And we believe that and we see it in Scripture. But man, it doesn't, doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like He knows where I am. It doesn't feel like He can help me or is going to help me. You know, one of the reasons that happens. One of the reasons our faith can't always catch up with our feelings is because of distance. That's something we do in our mind. God, God seems so distant. He seems, you know, he's way up there. He's, he's way far off. He's unreachable. Now, none of that I just said is absolutely true at all. That is not an accurate way to think of God. What the scripture actually teaches is that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. So he's never distant. You can't use that word with God. For a believer... If you're a believer, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then through the person of the Holy Spirit, God actually lives in you. You can't get any closer than that. You can't get any closer than inside your skin. Jesus promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But you know what? Here again, I think probably for a lot of you, you know that. You've heard that. You know what verses I'm talking about. But boy, sometime in that situation, he sure does seem a far way away Jesus wants to tell you today that through your perceived distance he can work would you look with me this morning in John chapter 4 fourth gospel fourth book in the New Testament John chapter 4 if you don't have a Bible with you we've got Bibles kind of scattered out there among the chairs you should be able to find one in front of you or nearby John chapter 4, we're in a series right now on the Gospel of John. This is our third message. We're studying the Gospel of John through three sets of seven. In this Gospel, there are seven signs, there are seven I am statements, and there are seven witnesses. Right now, we're going through the signs. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the, the first sign when Jesus was in Cana and he transformed the water into wine. And in that sign, we saw that God, through Christ, provides. 
He provides a transforming power in our lives that moves us from emptiness to abundance, from worthlessness to the value of God. That's the work of Christ in our lives. Now we come today to a second sign. Let's look at that now. John chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 46. It says, Then he, that's Jesus, then he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down and heal before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his slaves met him saying that the boy was alive. He asked him at what time he got better. Yesterday at seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized that was the, that was the very hour that Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed along with his whole household. This therefore was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. You see right away in our passage there in verse 46 that Jesus is in Cana again. You remember that's where he did the first sign in Cana. Do you remember what I told you about Cana? This is a wide spot in the road, folks. You go to the end of the world, you turn left in about 15 minutes to Cana. This is a do-nothing town. It's a, a little remote village, probably a bunch of, of poor farmers. Nobody would go to Cana. There did nothing to bring you to Cana. You might, if you had family there, maybe, but Cana was nowhere. It shocks me, really, honestly, it shocks me that Jesus would use one of these seven signs that John is teaching about. Why would he waste that in Cana? Man, do that in a big place. Do that where there's a crowd. But not only does he do it once, but now we're back for a second time in Cana. You know, I can't help but wonder. Folks, I think there's something in every word for us to learn because the Bible actually says every word is inspired of God. You know, I wonder if there's actually a message in Cana. I wonder if God is saying to you and to me today, you know what, there's nowhere that's too remote for me to speak, for me to visit, for me to work. There's no place that's too unimportant that I won't go there. And in that good news, you're not going to be anywhere this week that's too unimportant for God. Your life is not so remote that God's not interested. Let me tell you something. Wherever you are, if he'll go to Cana, he'll go wherever you are. So here we are in Cana, back again. Now, since we last left Cana in John chapter 2, Jesus has gone to Jerusalem. He taught. He did miracles there. He had a, an, an incredible conversation in John chapter 3 with one of the religious leaders of Israel, the nation of Israel, a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And he has one of the most maybe significant one-on-one -on -one conversations in all the Bible because Nicodemus' question is this, how do I get to heaven? 
How do I live forever with God? And Jesus very clearly answers that question in John chapter 3. Then he leaves Jerusalem, he's going back to Galilee, and he goes through Samaria. Now, if you know much about Bible history and, and Israel, the Israelites were somewhat prejudiced against Samaritans. They, they really actually had, wanted to have nothing to do with Samaritans. You're also dealing in, in, in a male-dominated culture. Women were a little bit of a, a second-class citizen. And so, as we go through John chapter 4, we find Jesus in Samaria standing by a well, talking to a Samaritan woman. You see, there's no nationality, there's no race color, there's no gender, there's nothing about you that makes you so unimportant or, or distant from society that Jesus doesn't want to spend time with you. I mean, look, as you put John 3 and 4 together, here he is in John 3 with a religious leader of the entire nation. And then in John 4, he's having just as profound, just as significant conversation with a, a woman, we don't even know her name. Some Samaritan woman out by a well. Do you see these messages coming at us in the, in the location of Cana with the people he's talking to? Folks, you are not somebody. You're not somewhere that God doesn't care. God loves you. He will speak to you. He will work into your life wherever you are, wherever you're going, whoever you are. And that's kind of what we've been looking at, what we've been seeing. If you read John 3 and 4, and then we come to the end of chapter 4 of the passage we just read today, where we see Jesus perform his second sign, which is a, a healing, or as I like to call it, a long-distance healing. Now, we're introduced here to a royal official. That's all we know about him. We don't know his name. We don't, we don't know anything about him. We don't know what area of the government that he worked in or, or how he served. We just know he's a royal official. We know he lives in Capernaum. And he went to Jesus. Now, you know, right away, the first question that comes to mind, how did he know to go to Jesus? Jesus is kind of new on the scene. How did he know to go to Cana? You know, they're, they're 20 miles apart. Cana and Capernaum, they're 20 miles apart. Now, folks, to jump in a car... Time-wise, that'd be like saying they were about three, 400 miles away. That's the time this royal official invested to get to Jesus. So obviously, he's got some knowledge. He's got some faith that, that this guy's a, a prophet. He's a, a miracle worker. He can help me. How did he have that knowledge? I don't know. We, John 2.23 says that, that Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was teaching. He was performing miracles. Maybe he'd heard about that. The word was getting around about this guy in Jerusalem. Maybe, and this is kind of how I imagine it. I don't know this. It's just kind of how I imagine it. I wonder if this royal official had a friend. Somebody lived in Capernaum with him. And that person happened to be in Jerusalem those days that was Jesus was there. And this guy heard him. This guy saw him and, and watched him. And now he's gone back to Capernaum. He goes to see his friend. He, he sees the desperate situation that his son is in. And the guy goes, I know where you can go. I, I know where you can get help, man. You need to go see Jesus. Man, you know, I don't know that that's exactly what happened. But it is a reminder to me, folks, when you know Christ. When you've been touched by Christ. When he's worked in your life. Man, you need to tell people. Go see Jesus. There are royal officials in your life, maybe not government workers, but you got this person. Folks, everybody in this room has this person in their life. You'll see him, you'll see her this week. And they need somebody who will tell them, man, I know what you're dealing with. Go see 
Jesus. Well, he does. He does go and see Jesus. It says here that that he went to him and he pleaded. And what was he pleading? Well, John John writes it twice here. He says he says twice, come down, come down and heal my son. John only writes that two times. But that word pleading in, in the verb tense of that word in that language implies that he was there was a continualness about that. He was continually begging. He was continually pleading. In other words, he was saying, come down, come down, please come down and help my son, please. He's just talking. He's going on and on, begging and pleading for Jesus to come down. Come down is an accurate geographical statement. Cana was on high ground. It, it was higher altitude. And if you were going from Cana to Capernaum, you would travel down. You would go down to Capernaum. But it's more than just an accurate geographical statement, isn't it? Isn't that kind of an accurate emotional statement? Don't we sometimes look to heaven and say, come down, Come down and fix this. Come down and make this right. Come down and prove yourself. Come down and show your love for me. We looked at him and said, God, come down. Come down. Jesus knows what we're thinking and how we're feeling. And I think that's why he responds the way he does. You see his first response to the man. He says, you people. Now notice right away, he says, you people. In other words, Jesus is responding to more than the royal official. He's responding to the royal official and everybody there. As a matter of fact, Jesus is responding to you. He's responding to me. He's responding to everybody that interacts with this story. Because you see, he knows our human tendency. Don't we kind of need a steady diet of God doing something for us? God fixing something for us in order to believe in him? In order to believe that he loves us? Let me ask you a question today. What do you need right now? It might be a lot of us, one, nothing, but, but there's some in here right now that say, man, I tell you what, I, I, I don't know that I believe God loves me. I, I don't believe, I don't know that I believe God knows I exist. And you know, if God would, would come into this situation and fix that, if God would provide this, if God would take care of that, if He would show up in some way, then I could believe. You know, before we answer that question, though, we do need to remember something. He did come down. Didn't He? God did come down. And, and, and in an extreme, let your grace be enough, In an extreme act of grace, he put on human flesh because we wouldn't understand. We wouldn't process him in the way that he was. But he put himself in a form that we could see and we could touch and we could hear and we could understand. And he proved who he was through his through his teaching and through his miracles. But really, he wasn't down here to prove who he was. To teach something and to do some miracles. He was here to go to the cross. So you could live forever. You see, there's some. With bad with good news, there's always bad news. Bad news is, folks, you're not ready to see God. Outside of Christ, you're not ready to see God. You're not ready to stand before Him. If you go to Him without Christ, you will go to hell. And that is forever. It is a very real, a very physical place. But God loves you. And He doesn't want that future for you. So He came down. And He went to that cross Because by myself, I might be good. I might do a lot of good things. I'm here today, aren't I? I'm a seeker of truth. 
Trying to learn about God. Trying to do the right things. I, I haven't done this list of things. I'm not like people on the news. You know what? You might be a good person. You might be a wonderful person. But you know what you're not? You're not holy. And you are not righteous. And you are not just. Everybody in this room, in every situation in life, you want it to be fair. My friend, it would not be fair for God to let you into heaven. It would not be just for him to pretend that sin is not there. But he loves you. So he came down. His son went to that cross. He paid the penalty. He took on our eternal punishment. He took on that damnation. Why do you look at that cross and see the horror and the awfulness of that? Because that's what God sees in sin. That's what God sees in the condemnation. He took that all on for us. And then he rose again. To really prove his power. To show he was the son of God. To show his authority to conquer sin and death and hell for you. So when I sit in here this morning and I say, man, you know what? I, 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 don't, know, I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know if I believe he loves me. If I were to believe that, I would need him to do this right here. Folks, that is the same as saying, God, I appreciate what you did at the cross. That's awesome. But it's not enough. What, what you did there is not enough for me. I, I need you to do this right here. Now, I'm sure a lot of us are responsible. Well, that's not what I'm trying to say. That, that's not what I mean to communicate to God when I say I need him to do. But it is what we're communicating. Now, now folks, I'm not saying this to say God's done working. You, you should be, you know, the cross is enough. Don't expect anything else from God. Well, first of all, the cross is enough if God never does another thing. Do you know if God never does another work in your life, he is wholly worthy of your devotion, of your obedience, of your faith. He is wholly worthy of your life, not because of stuff he does, but because of who he is. And you know what? This is the faith that Jesus wants to build in our lives. See, he wants to build in us a belief that comes out of devotion, not amazement. Let me say something very difficult. As a matter of fact, I, I might hear the opposite in some other places. When you need miracles to believe, that's an inadequate faith. If it takes miracles and works of God for you to believe, that is an inadequate faith. Now, understand the word inadequate. I'm not saying it's a worthless faith. I'm not saying it's a meaningless faith. I'm not saying it's a bad faith. Inadequate means it's just not enough. God's not satisfied to leave you in that kind of faith. Inadequate means I just don't have enough. I went to the restaurant, charged up $21 of food, planned on putting my card down. They don't take cards. There's only cash. I've only got $18. I've got an inadequate amount of money. I've got money. It's just inadequate. Folks, a faith that constantly needs God to perform is an inadequate faith. It's not a bad faith. God knows we come to him for what we can get. We come to him for salvation. We come to him for forgiveness, for heaven. We come to him for help, for guidance, for provision. And he invites us to come to him for those things. But if that's all we approach God for, that's not enough. He's worthy for who he is, not what he can do. Jesus wants to grow that faith in us. Well, the royal official doesn't hear any of this. Did you notice that? Jesus makes this comment, you folks just won't believe unless I'm doing signs and wonders. Look at the royal official's next response. 
So are you coming down or not? <laughs> he doesn't hear that. He's not interested in what Jesus has to say at that moment. I need help. And we understand that, don't we? This is a father. His son's dying. He's desperate. He's passionate for the well-being of his son. I understand that. Jesus understands that. But look at what happens. He turns and he says, go. No, no not, not go. I said, come down. You, you come with me. We're physical people, right? I need, I need physical evidence. I need God. I need you to walk with me. And I need you to touch my boy. My friend told me about you in Jerusalem. He told me about that blind guy. You, you touched his eyes. He told me about that lame guy. You, lived there. you touched his eyes. I need you to touch my boy. I need to see you there. Go. Your son will live. Now there's the promise. There's the word. Does he have any evidence that that prayer has been answered? None. And Jesus says, go. And here to me is the real miracle. Because what does it say? He believed. No evidence. But he believed. You know why I call that the real miracle? I mean, folks, if I'm sick, I want to be healed. But whether I'm healed or not, I know where this body's going. It has not been made to last forever. I get that body later. So whether I healed or not, I'm going to die. Healing is not the big issue of life. Belief is. He believed. Jesus healed from a distance. Jesus didn't have to heal from a distance. Because he doesn't live in distance. He's always there when he speaks. Every square inch of creation listens. Every square inch of creation obeys. But Jesus shows us that he can heal from a distance. But that's not the big thing Jesus is doing here. It's in sending that man home. Without going with them. It's 20 miles. Walking. 20 miles to walk without really knowing what's happened. You see what Jesus is doing? He's forcing the issue of faith. The prayer actually has been answered. The promise has been given. But as that man walks that 20 miles, all he has is Jesus' word. He has no evidence. He has nothing. All he has. Can't, die, can't call home. All he has is Jesus' word. And he walks. You know what? That's what Jesus is doing in your life right now. Folks, faith. The one thing. One thing pleases God. Faith. Faith is how we please God. Faith is how we know God. Faith is how we enjoy God. You say, what's God doing in my life right now? What's God doing in my life today? He's trying to build this faith in your life. He may have already answered your prayer. The answer may be out there. It's secured. But right now, he's doing something much, much bigger than the answer to that prayer. He's trying to build into your life this faith. 20 miles to walk home. I wonder if some of you right now in this room are somewhere in the midst of that 20 mile journey. That's what Jesus is doing in your life. Seeking you to bring you to the place where you want the person you pray to even more than what you're praying for. They were, you know, he's building faith. What does that mean? It means I want God more than the answers I seek from God. Why 20 miles? So that by the end of that 20 miles, I've got a faith that says, you know what? Knowing God has just become more important to me than the very thing I'm asking for. 
That's what God is doing in your life. That's what he's telling you right here. Well, the guy does get home. He does get to the end of his 20 miles. Servants run out to a man. Your boy's better. What time? Oh, that's right when he spoke. That's right when he gave his word. And then it says again he believed. Now, wait a minute. I thought he already believed. It says he believed before he took the walk. Now it says he believed after he took the walk. Did he not believe before? No, I believe at the beginning of the 20 miles, that was the commitment to faith. That was the commitment to believe. That's when he said his word is enough. I'm going home. And I believe, ah, a little bit difficult for me to prove this, but I believe he walked home in total peace. I don't believe he fretted. I don't believe he worried. I don't believe there was any anxiety. I believe he walked home in peace. He got home. What time was it? I knew it. And then he celebrated his belief. You know, folks, we're all going to take a 20-mile walk. The question is, when I get to the end of it, am I celebrating God or am I hating God? The question is, when I get to the end of it, am I praising God or am I doubting God? And when I get to the end of the 20 and find out, realize his faith is not what healed him. He wasn't healed when he walked through the door of his house. He was healed back here at the beginning of the 20 miles. The answer was in place. It was done. He was getting the answer no matter what took place on that 20-mile walk. But he got there and he got to celebrate. Ah! Bugs. <laughs> he got to celebrate the faith. You know, folks, when you're in the middle of that 20-mile walk... Say, guys, I'm walking these 20 miles. It may hurt. It may struggle. I may have problems with you from time to time because I'm having a hard time holding on. But when I get to end, may I be able to celebrate you and not be locked in doubting you? The answer may already be there. Sign number two points us to the fact that God and Jesus works. And he can work through the distance. Again, the distance is not the big issue because there is no distance for God. He is everywhere present listen God is working in your life but for some of you right now he may have you in the midst of that 20 mile walk and that's hard that, that's what makes it faith if it was easy it wouldn't take faith would it it's hard and that's why I need to daily be in his word what did the royal official possess what's the one thing he possessed as he walked home he possessed the word of Christ you and I have the same word. Folks, your circumstances in your life are going to tell you every day, God doesn't see you, God doesn't care about you, God can't do anything for you. So I've got to get in His Word that tells me, yes, I do see you, yes, I do care about you, yes, I am working in your life, and I see His principles, and I see illustrations of what He's done in others, and it confirms, it builds that faith when I'm in the midst of this walk. I need to daily be in prayer. I need to be just like this royal official. I am going to persist, I am going to insist, I am going to plead, I am going to beg, I am not going to let go until he's told me get up and go. And I can go in a sense of peace. And I can go with belief. You know what? I need to be in his church. Because that walk can be very lonely. That walk can be very hard. And God has given you something incredible, folks. He's given you the church. I come to church and, and, and if I've struggled with keeping the scriptures in front of me all week, then the church puts the scriptures in front of me and they, they teach me and they train me in the scriptures. I need to go to church because I need people to pray for me. I need to pray, pay people to pray with me. I need to people to pray for me. You know what? And I know some of you have been there. 
Sometimes in the midst of that walk, you're so tired of praying, you don't have any more words left. You don't know what else to say to God. God's given the church to come up alongside and help through that time. Folks, that's why we push over and over and over. Don't let this room be the sole experience you have with Colonial Heights Baptist. Get into a Bible fellowship class. You can come in here every single Sunday for the rest of the year and never build a single relationship where somebody will have the opportunity to come alongside you, pray with you and for you and pray when you have no words left. It's our Bible fellowship ministry that gives you the opportunity to build those kinds of relationships so that you're not completely alone on that walk. Listen, God knows you, knows where you are, knows what's going on, knows how difficult it looks right now. And he is working. And in some of your cases, the answer may already be in place. But right now, he says, listen, I'm fine with you coming to me for what I can give you. But I want to use this situation in your life. To see if I can get you to come to me just for who I am. And who we can be in a relationship together. I want to I want to conclude the service now a little bit differently. Normally I say, now let's pray. We are going to do that, but I want to do this a little bit differently this morning. I want nobody moving or stirring. Folks, this isn't a time to head for the car. This is a holy moment. This is a sacred moment. God is working right now. You know, when God's working, Satan hates it. And he's going to do what he can to interrupt. He's going to do what he can to interfere. And slipping out may be all Satan needs to divert somebody's attention and say, oh, you know what? That wasn't God. I really want us to just kind of treat this as a sacred moment. Here's what I want to do. I want us, let's go ahead and enter a time of prayer. If you'd bow your head and close your eyes. There are people in this room right now. You're listening to me and you're saying, oh my. I, I am. I am right now. I'm on that walk. I'm on that 20 miles. It's getting kind of long. It's getting kind of lonely. And I'm, I'm having a hard time holding on. And really believing that, that God is working. That God is with me. If that's you right now, if you're in the middle of that 20-mile walk, would, would you just stand up and just remain standing for a moment? I'm not going to call on you. I'm not going to point you out. You're not going to have to do anything. I just want to be able to pray for you. People around the sanctuary, people in the choir and orchestra. You know what? Even standing is an act of humility that says, God, I'm not looking for this in me. I'm looking for you. You're standing right now. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you see these individuals in this room right now who've stood up. God, would you be for them everything they need the rest of this journey? Lord, I don't know if their journey is three more days, three more weeks, three more years. But Lord, I pray they would not get to the end of it until they desire you more than the answer. Until they find your grace and your love of more value than anything they could ask for you from in this world. God, that's a very difficult thing I just prayed for them. God, would you strengthen them? Would you give them that belief that you gave this royal official right here? Lord, would you give them a sense of peace? I pray as they leave here today, God, I pray they've heard your voice. And I pray that voice will be enough to carry them into this week with a sense of peace.
and a greater faith. Lord, whether it's related to the answer or not, that answer may still be a way off, but I pray, God, this week, would you give them evidence of your goodness and your faithfulness to them personally? Would you strengthen their grip on you? And Lord, I pray that when they get to the end of that journey, I pray for them the same opportunity as this royal official, that they can celebrate the faith by which they held on to you with. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen.